This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Hey, this is Jason Elam. Join Lola Robbins, Kyle Butler, and me for the Messy Spirituality Podcast, where we try to empower your spiritual evolution with honest conversation about how to be a better human, taking a critical look at toxic Bible stories, and look behind the headlines for growth opportunities underlying current events. Hey, it's a bisexual hairstylist who escaped a cult, a black mystic, and a recovering Southern Baptist preacher. What could possibly go wrong? Check out the Messy Spirituality Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Heretic Happy Hour podcast. We are so glad that you have decided to choose to listen to this podcast. We know that when you choose podcasts, you have many options, and we're very grateful that you have chosen to uh, to fly with us today. So thank you so much. And um, I am one of your many hosts. My name is Keith Giles. I am the author of the Jesus Un series and the recently released Sola Mysterium celebrating the beautiful uncertainty of everything. Um, and this episode, we are continuing our series, this What If series. Uh, this is going to be a great one. Cannot wait to jump into it. But uh, first, let's do some introductions. And uh, so Katie and December and Shonda and maybe Matt, say hi. Maybe Matt. This is maybe yeah. not Matt. <laughs> hi, everyone. This is Katie Valentine. I feel like we could really milk this what if. What if all of you listening joined the Metaphysical Christian Facebook community? where I am the founder, and we talk about all things woo. Yeah, exactly. This is going to be so much fun, y'all. The conversation today is going to be outstanding. I'm so excited. I am super excited, too. This is your girl, December Rose, author of The Church Can Go to Hell, and God Does Not Want Your Bill Money, because he don't. Pay your rent. Worry about ties later. But anyway, I am so excited that y'all are listening on today. It's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be life-changing. It's going to be religious theology shattering. At least that's what I think. Anyway, stay tuned. You're going to find out. My name is Shonda Ja. I am the author of Transforming Communities, How People Like You Are Healing Their Neighborhoods. And I think that this whole What If series is going to be healing as well. And I am maybe Matt, the producer. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. The one clicking all the buttons, making everyone sound uh, hopefully good. I, I don't know. We've been going like five years now. We're just winging it at this point. Happy to be here. Happy to do another episode of, of What If. And, and I kind of got some stone thoughts where I, I kind of get into a little bit of, of What If. So, um, producer, if you could cue that up for us. I want to get to heaven someday and find out that Jesus was either trans, gay, or non-binary. Just so I can watch all the conservative Christians face <laughs> and see the reaction. I hope he's like covered in glitter, wearing a boa, <laughs> and he's got a gay lover named Javier on his side. <laughs> Just so I can see... Mark Driscoll or John Piper or John MacArthur's face. Ah, oh, God, please make that happen. Wow. That would make it happen, wouldn't it? That would make it happen. That would be so great. I 
feel like we could tie this into our whole past church trauma series. Everyone that could appear in a church trauma series gets gets a camera, face camera reaction whenever this reality occurs, so we can all watch it in <laughs> real time. It's just it's just a TikTok channel of all the face reactions. That's what all the videos are. That's heaven. That'll be heaven. Where did you get Javier? Is that like the pool boy outside of? Uh... I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out <laughs> why is love got to be Javier. But I, I, I have this I whole that. like, I have a whole like, uh, what do you call that? Uh, like days of our lives or as the world turns thing going on in my mind right now. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know what to think about that stolen thought. Except for I would like to be standing against the wall watching everybody have a meltdown as well. I think that would be just an amazing uh, show <laughs> presentation. Or epic uh, meltdown is what it would be. And that would be wonderful just to be able to witness that. I feel like you don't actually have to be stoned to really enjoy this concept. Um, do you all know <laughs> that story about the, you know, the people who think they're in hell because there's this amazing banquet, but their chopsticks are too long for them to be able to feed themselves? And then other people figure out that it's actually heaven yes. because the chopsticks are long enough for you to heat feed somebody else. So I kind of feel like our version of heaven might, in fact, be like Mark Driscoll's version of hell. So, like, the great joy we get is, in fact, his punishment, and I'm here for it. I don't know. I With my own, I we're not as, you think that you're liberal or deconstructed or non-religious until you're confronted with a thought like that. And then you <laughs> have to sort through your feelings about it. Right. <laughs> like I thought I, I I have a small confession to make. I, I thought I was pretty liberal, pretty doing well on my little path on deconstruction and pretty, you know, I'm pretty open minded. But I took my daughter to get her nails done and my son was with us and dad and he was like, why can't I get my nails done? And I was like, you know, you can't get your nails done. And he was like, well, but I don't understand why, you know, and he was going on and on and on. He was getting fussy. And I was like, fine, fine. You can get, I'm going to let you get a a mannequin and I was like but they're gonna put clear polish he's like well why can't I pick a color and thought he was going on and on and I thought to myself and I kept telling him no but I, then I started questioning myself I was like why am I telling him no my, my mm-hmm. son he's just this is just something cool to me he's like this is the color that's on my I think he was talking about his uh, some his Pokemon cards or something or another um, one of these anime cartoons that he watches a lot and he's like this is the color and it was like this green glitter and I was like, and I was sitting there having this battle with myself about whether or not I would let my child get his nails painted because that act in and of itself was in my mind gay to me. And that's mm-hmm. so, you think you're, you think that you're liberal, you think that you're open-minded until you're confronted with it in real life. Mm-hmm. Then you have to acknowledge. And so finally I made a compromise and I was like, uh, you could be, you could get one, you can get your thumb painted with this gold, with this green glitter. And so <laughs> he was so excited. He was still fussing because he's like, I don't understand why I can't get the red, the blue. He wanted blue and green and blue and green or something or another. And I was like, I don't know, that's it's too much for me. Right. And I think it was too much for me, not for me, but because I thought that he might get talked about or made fun of or picked on. And so I was like, I, you know, I didn't want someone thinking something about him. And then it, you know, so it was a lot that I had to sort through, but yeah. he was so excited to get his nails done. And it's something simple like that, that 
I attributed and the public attributes to sexuality when that was the furthest thing from his mind. What was on his mind was like Pokemon. Pokemon was on his mind. But sexuality was on my mind. And that's so wild. They looked great. He was so excited. Nice. That's awesome. He was so excited. Like, look at my nails. And he was like doing this ninja stuff. And I was like, okay. You know what I'm saying? And so it's just like, it's so crazy what we project. I don't know yeah. how I got there from what, what he said. But it's so crazy what we project onto the public, onto our children, onto anyone, or what we mm-hmm. might be projecting onto God, you know? Yeah. So I really love what you're saying, December, because I think that's part of Like, we're all on a journey. I think that's actually, you know, you use the word deconstruction. I think we're all, you know on this journey and I found myself listening to your story and thinking, man, you know what heaven would be to me is a world where people, you wouldn't have to worry about whether your kid got picked on for wanting green and blue nail polish. Um, To me, that's a version of heaven. In some ways that connects back to the stone thoughts. So I I just wanted to give you the shout out for sharing that. It really didn't make me have to re had me, I had me examine myself. Like, what am I projecting onto my son just because he wants to get his nails painted? There's nothing sexual about your nail color. I am dating somebody who wears cat t-shirts. I am having a lot of issues with my judgment of other people and having to reflect on what that says about me. So I'm with you. (laughs) Uh, Great stone thoughts. And whenever we start poking around sexuality of anyone like Jesus who humans tend to think of as sexually pure. We get into all of our purity stuff. So this is going to tie in big time to our conversation after the Heretic of the Week. And our Heretic of the Week is an amazing woman. You're going to love her. She works with women's empowerment. So stay tuned for this amazing interview. It's the Heretic of the Week. Hi, my name is Meg Hepner, and some people call me a heretic. Hi, Hi, Meg. <laughs> Meg, I'm so excited to, to welcome you to the podcast. Meg and I connected a couple of months ago, and she's just a wonderful human being and a wonderful heretic to have here. So Meg, just tell us, why would some people call you a heretic? Ugh, most people call me a heretic because I do not believe that Jesus came to die for our sins. That just does not sit right with me. I know, shocker. Um, I think he came to show us how to live, but he did not die for our sins. Wow. So you're not feeling yourself washed in the blood every every day or every week? Oh, you know what? Even just saying that just, ooh, grates my nerves. I don't know. But that <laughs> that terminology, that idea, for some reason, I, I can't I can't onboard it. It just yeah. doesn't doesn't feel right. Yeah, I, I, it's funny because uh, I used to I did used to believe that. And then, you know, it, it took me a while to reach the place where it, it's kind of it kind of dawned on me like, Okay, wait a minute. So God sacrificed himself to himself to appease mm-hmm. himself to save us from himself. What? Yeah. God's a right? God's right? a complicated guy. <laughs> <laughs> Who can know yeah. the mind of God? Or or he's like the angry volcano god who demands a virgin child sacrifice. Um, yeah. His own child, but still, right? And then, okay, now I can forgive you and love you and all that. Yeah. That's like, yeah. no, no, that's Molech. That doesn't sound like God to me. Yeah. Well, Meg, yeah, you have I, such an in, oh, you have such an interesting background, and I'm I'm curious. Is that like the the blood imagery? Is that something you would have grown up with? Like, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. You know, it's interesting. I grew up as a Mennonite, and so 
we were an extremely conservative group of people. So if people are not familiar with what Mennonites are, we follow the teachings of Menno Simons who broke off of the Catholic Church. And our biggest thing was we did not want to be state educated. We did not want child baptism and we were pacifists. And so we kind of moved on to live our own type of lives. And I grew up in a church where women sat on one side, men sat on the other, no music, right? Um, We were taught that women were not allowed to teach. Like I did not have any, you know, female Sunday school teachers or anything like that. None of that was allowed. And you always were very somber in church, right? Like I remember my mom had her church clothes and they were always very dark and serious. and, And we just really believed that we should stay apart from the world. And that meant we should dress different. We should talk different. We should act different. And whatever the world was kind of offering us was off limits. And so we really, really bought hard into this idea of we are sinful man. Nothing can redeem us except for Jesus. And we have to have our complete and utter faith in him and everything. And that doesn't fall into that is sin, like absolutely everything. And so we really became the type of people who focused on works like we worshiped at the god of production like big time like we worked really really hard and we rejected any type of entertainment it was a very serious type of of kind of situation or 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 faith to grow up in and it's interesting because the blood of jesus what jesus did for us and the fact that that was going to take us to heaven someday was a main focus for us so you didn't worship or you didn't go to church because god you just so loved Jesus, or you so loved God, you went because you don't want to burn in hell, right? And that was like a huge motivator. So Mm -hmm. my advice is like, sister wives would have been off limits. (laughs) It's TV, it's polygamy, it's everything, right? Like you would not have been allowed. No, no. Although I am a big sister wives fan right now, and we could totally dive into that. (laughs) Oh my gosh. One more thing, Meg. This is fantastic. (laughs) Oh, shoot. Yeah. So, so let me just ask a couple of things like, so growing up then in that environment, cause this is fascinating. I, I didn't, I mean, I thought I had it bad, but man, hearing, hearing you talk about that. So when in your home, like, did you have a television? Uh, how, I'm going to take how deep into this Mennonite thing were you guys? Like you weren't like milking the cows out on the farm were you, or, or where were you? Or did you have a, did you have electricity? Did you have a television? What, what level of what was, what was acceptable and what wasn't, uh, were you yeah. guys? Yeah. Great, great question. So what's really fascinating when you said the words, how deep were you into it? Mennonites believe they're born Mennonite and you can't get out of being a Mennonite. Like, (laughs) which is really, which is really interesting because it's literally just the ideas of one person, Menno Simons. Like they were just his ideas that you happen to believe in. But like when my husband and I moved across country, the biggest thing was, well, can you find a Mennonite church? Will you will you still adhere to the Mennonite belief system? And mm-hmm. we went, well, no, I don't think we're really Mennonite anymore. And they're like, oh, there's no such thing as you not being able to be Mennonite. Like you, you were born a Mennonite, so you are. But interesting, I am the first generation in my family that grew up in Canada. My family is all from Mexico. So my parents grew up no electricity, no running water, no, you know, indoor plumbing, milking cows, driving, Mm. you know, a horse and a buggy. And then what happened is um, my parents got really screwed over by the church, unfortunately, um, Mm. because my Mm. grandpa was an alcoholic and my grandpa, you know, lived a lifestyle that was really kind of unpleasant. And so what happens is when you're a newlywed, you get a house, but the church took their house away. So my parents were just like, 
completely poor. And they went, the only place we can go to make money is Canada. And some of my uncles have come to Canada. So they moved to Canada and they went, oh, in Canada, no one knows if we drive a car because the church, you know, can't watch us as much or whatever. So my parents ended up loosening up quite a bit. I remember I was in grade three and I fought my mom real hard. Could I please wear pants to school? Because all the other little girls wore pants. Like, would it just be okay if I wore pants? And so she said, yes, but just to school. And so like slowly but surely, they started to like loosen the reins a little bit. Um, So I was lucky enough to have a somewhat more typical upbringing where like later on in life, we did have a very, very small, like I wish your listeners could see this because I don't, I'm not good with measurement or numbers, but it was this big. <laughs> How big is this? Well, you're, you're probably measuring it in metric because you're in Canada. <laughs> yeah. So I would say like 10 we inches were, by 10 inches or so. Okay. So it was a 10 inch by 10 inch and it had a little VCR on the bottom that was attached to it. And my parents oh, had a little kids it. TV. Yeah, yeah, and that's what we that's what we got to watch. Um, and so that was like really kind of like, but don't tell people, you know, like we'll right. have it, but don't advertise it. Um, so no, it was it was a very, very serious thing. And I took my faith very seriously. Like I wasn't one of those people who went, Oh yeah, you know, like I'm a Mennonite, I'm a Christian, whatever. No, I went like hardcore. Like I was one of those little kids that would read my Bible for fun. Or Mm. would be like, this is what I want to be. But I realized later in life, like my dad, um, unfortunately, a lot of Mennonites have this. They succumb to addictions. And so my dad suffered from from alcohol addiction. And my mom had a really, really hard life. And my mom took a lot of solace in religion. That was sort of her kind of relief from the hard life that she led. And I remember thinking, so then if I'm good – I can be part of her relief. If I incorporate all these really good teachings and if I become this really good person, then I am my mother's solution. I really wanted to be her solution. And, wow. and so I, I remember even after I got married and before I would go to work, I was that dork that was like, I'm opening my Bible and my hymnal and I'm singing like alone in my living room, you know, like doing like this kind of very traditional thing. It took a long time for me to kind of go, you know, maybe this isn't it. Because I kept going, this is going to give results. Like my mom's suffering will be gone. My dad's drinking will be gone. If only I do this more and more and more and more. If only I become good enough. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I'm just wondering from going from a a life where everything is Jesus centric, Jesus, sin, salvation centric, right? Everything about your whole life centers around Jesus, being saved by Jesus, uh, staying away from sin, being washed in the blood or whatever we want to say, whatever we believe. And that being your solace to where you are now, where uh, Jesus didn't come to die for my sins. How, How That is a big jump. That's a big, that's like you walk up to the cliff and just fell, fell backwards off the cliff. So how did you get here? It's interesting. It it all started um, with the birth of my kids, really. I had I have two kids. They're 17 and 15 now. Um, but I started telling them the stories that I had been told. And I went, wait, wait. like Because it gives you the opportunity to look at them in a new light. And you go, well, this why, why would I tell them this story? This is a terrible story. And they kind of were like, huh? Like, what? You know, like they even questioned it. And um, And so it started me on the journey. 
And then six years ago, my husband and I moved across country. And so we used to live in Manitoba, which for your American listeners is right above North Dakota. So it's like right heart Bible Belt. And we moved to British Columbia, um, which is West Coast. So think California, which is liberal leftists, like, you know, like the whole thing. And what happened is we no longer had any of the identity markers around us. We didn't have any of the structures that told us who we were. And so then we could figure out who we were with no kind of gaze of the other, um, you know, judging, oh, this is right or this is wrong. And it started with finding a church. And I remember the first day we were in British Columbia or the first Sunday we were in British Columbia. Of course, we had to quickly go find a church. And I remember sitting there and going, I can't do this. I can't do this here. Like, I've left all this and I don't want this anymore. And it started a three-year journey of just pulling everything apart, like just yanking it apart and going like, I'm going to, I'm going to throw everything on the table as suspect, virgin birth, resurrection, you know, like we're talking, everything got put on the table and said like, let's examine it all again. And then of course, you know, you get influenced by really lovely people who've gone before you, right? Which is such a great thing that people share their experiences. So we got introduced to like, you know, Rob Bell and Peter Rollins and and Richard Rohr and all of those kind of great names who've already kind of gone ahead of us and introduced into that work. And I went like, oh, there's so much here. And I'm so grateful for that because I didn't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Like that isn't what I was interested in, but I wanted it to somehow make sense to me. And, and somehow to be a beneficial thing in my life instead of like a, a coping method or, or, or a crutch or whatever. And, and so really pulling it apart, finding a church out here that was, um, I don't even know what to call it. It's not a non-denominational church because it isn't that, but it's a church that is just very open to spirituality in general. You know, sometimes there's, um, you know, Muslim teachers, sometimes there's Hindu teachers, sometimes there's Buddhists, sometimes there's Christian, like it's just a very open, loving, Hey, let's explore community. Um, it took us on a, on a completely different path. And the weird thing about that is I just love Jesus more than ever. I just am Mm -hmm. a church going Christian now. Mm -hmm. I think that's so fascinating, isn't it? Because uh, I promise you, if there's anyone listening to what, what you just said, and they haven't gone through deconstruction themselves and they don't understand what it is. When you first started to tell that the, the part of the story about how, well, we moved away and we broke out from all that. And I started putting everything on the table and questioning everything. And now I'm in a church that has Muslims and Buddhists and all these other things. The last thing they expected was what you, what you ended with, which was, and now I'm closer to Jesus than ever. And I love Jesus more than ever. Because again, the, the consumption is always for people on the outside looking in of deconstruction. It's the slippery slope. It's the danger. Oh, you're going to, and, and it's not, it's like the, the experience for so many people is like yours, where the process of questioning what we were told and what we were, you know, the, the doctrines we were handed uh, as children, the process of going through that and questioning that it actually doesn't lead us farther away. It actually brings us quite often much closer to Jesus than ever, because what, we, what we're doing is moving out all the other crap that has been sort of a globbed onto him like a Christmas tree, right? Uh, little ornaments that have been hung all over him. We can't even see him. So uh, can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, what, as you went through that, in what ways it, it has Jesus become sort of better for you? And like uh, that your connection and your relationship with Jesus has has shifted from what it used to be to what it is now? Yeah. Oh, I love talking about this. This just makes me excited. <laughs> um, you know, it's so interesting because in my past life, 
I worshiped or, or, you know, followed the teachings of Jesus because I was so petrified. I just, you know, it was really going, I am so bad and I need to be so good. There was this real desperation about it. Um, and then when I put everything out on the table, I'm like, okay, let's see what's left. You're left with this magnificent human being slash divine, if you want to think that, like who gives you the opportunity to actually impact yourself, impact your communities, impact your, your, your culture, impact the world. If you look at the way that he behaved and if you go, what would that look like in my life? Like the thing that I love the most about Jesus is he always ran in the opposite direction of everybody else, right? Everybody went, we want to get away from the yuckiness. We need to be pure. And he was like, no, I want to be in the muck. And honestly, to me, it's such an amazing thing because even where we live, right, there's a lot of homeless people in Vancouver. Unfortunately, we have quite the quite the homeless community, which is is quite devastating. But everyone's like, well, let's get as far away from that as possible, right? And But when you follow Jesus, you go, no, how do I get as close to that as possible? And that is just such a differentiator as to how you live your life. Even like, okay, so you guys are American. If you're when you think of your politics, how do I get as far away from a Republican or a Democrat as I possibly can? <laughs> right. When you follow Jesus, you go, no, how do I get as close to them as I possibly can? Because Christ comes in the image of our enemy. We don't realize that. Like when you think of Jesus on the cross, you think of, oh, like, you know, poor Jesus, I would have loved him. No, you would have hated him. You would have been like, oh, yes, he's everything we reject. So if you would. If he, if he was everything you reject, then you have to ask yourself, who do I reject right now? Who is my rejection point? Maybe it's a Republican. Maybe it's a Democrat. Maybe it's an anti-vaxxer. Maybe it's someone who got vaxxed. You know, like whatever. You are my enemy. So then I must run towards you and I must find out how I can love you. And to me, like, what a beautiful way to be in the world. To every time you see someone who drives you crazy, drives you mad, you would really like to exile into an other category. You go, nope nope, I'm running towards that. And I'm going to sit across the table from that person. And I'm going to hear them because they have a message for me because they are my Christ, right? Like you just show up so differently. And to me, like I, I, that alone is, is, is the reason that I just adore him so much. Cause I'm like, that example has changed my life. And, and another thing, if I can quickly dive into it is he is no respecter of persons, like no respecter of persons. Like I could almost cry saying it because we're so merit-based and we live on hierarchy and we're so like, you know, everyone needs to prove themselves and blah, 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 blah. And he walks in and he just sees who you are. Like what a beautiful way to walk into the world and to be in the world. And it's not just you give such grace to other people because of that, but you give so much grace to yourself, right? How many of us don't get prepared to do something? We walk in and we go, oh shit, but what about if they don't like me? What if this, what, like you're so focused. And if you can just remove that and go, I have no respect of person. They might like me. They might not. They might be, you know, more, you know, wise than me here. They might not have as much experience as me here, whatever. We're all just community. Like we're all just human beings having a human experience. Like that is so 
much easier to live life that way. And we solve global problems that way. Because right now we're glorifying people like Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or, you know, all these different people. We glorify them and then we model them when really they're living trauma responses. And then again, this is judgment. I mean, obviously I can't, I can't, I can't <laughs> say it's that like. Allegedly. Assessment. It's assessment, not Alleg- judgment. Al- allegedly, yes. Okay, yes, <laughs> allegedly. Right, but you have these people who are going, I must become the most famous. I must yeah. become the richest. I must become the most important person in the room. And if you would live by the teachings of Jesus, you would go, none of that actually matters. Right. And so mm-hmm. you start to heal the things that are really plaguing our society where we have this elite and then we have these people who are suffering and there seems to be no way to divide them. I'm like, well, what happens if we all just began to see each other as people with yeah. no hierarchy or meritocracy or limited, right. I guess? Well, you're definitely preaching my kind of gospel, sister. I love it. I love it. I love your testimony. I love everything about it. I'm one of those people who believe, um, you know, this is one of those things that makes me a heretic is that I don't believe that God ever intended for us to be sin free. I believe that he intended for us to be free from sin. And there's a difference as in us not being in bondage to it. And I think when I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about all these very hyper-religious sects and some of them can be considered cults or very conservative religions, they want to avoid sin so much that they end up avoiding God himself. They don't mm-hmm. see it that way. But while I'm listening to you and you're talking about Jesus ran to these people, he ran to the muck and the mire, Claire, whatever the case is. And also one thing that you said um, that once you got, once you moved and got away from all these markers and things, then you were able to see what it is that you wanted to do. And I just wanted to comment on this. Once we get away from people telling us how to believe, who to believe in, and how to live out that belief, then we actually get to choose God. There's a lot of Christians right now and otherwise who think they chose God, but they didn't. They don't think they have a choice. And that's not choosing God. If you're being raised up uh, to believe that if you don't do this, you're going to hell. And if you do this, you're going to hell. And your whole life is centered around keeping your foot out of hell and keeping your ass out the fire. You didn't choose God. You chose fear. So I just wanted to say to you, you know what I'm saying? As a woman who went, who made a transition from choosing fear to choosing God, because that's where you're at right now. The reason, and this is my personal opinion. The reason why you love Jesus more now is because you chose him before this, you were in an arranged marriage. Yeah. And there's a lot of people right now. (laughs) There's a lot of people. I mean, I mean, think about it. Didn't you just say that they say you born into this and you can't get you can't get away from yeah. being in a minute? You, the yeah. Mennonite is not in your DNA. If, if we if we if we pull your blood right now and somebody does a, a track on your DNA, what you know, whatever they call that, they call it a DNA marker. They will not find Mennonite. They won't find it. <laughs> you are absolutely gorgeous and beautiful. They might find Aztecs. They might find Mayas. They might find I don't know. They might find that you're partially uh well you might be iranian in there somewhere you might be a lot of things you just go at this period you might be a little bit greek who knows what's in there you might be you know one of the, the 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 native americans or whatever the case is you know what i'm saying who knows but what you're not gonna find is mennonite that was a that was that was an arranged marriage and so you yeah. escaped an arranged marriage and now you choose to be uh, in love with this person called Jesus. And I think that's why he's so much more handsome and so much more attractive and why you love him more because you chose him this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that was, that was fire. 
Like I got goosebumps. I got goosebumps. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And we get away from people telling us who we're supposed to be in God. We get to make a decision. We get to make a decision. And I think that's why you, me, Keith, Katie, uh, why we're closer to God, because we get we chose him this time. So, Meg, I've got a, um, a question, too, and uh, maybe this will kind of tie into what with what December was saying, which is I've had the I've had the um, great delight of getting to know Meg with some of the work that she does in, in women's empowerment. So Meg has a podcast called The Art of Being Human, H parentheses, Y-O-U parentheses. M-A-N. Um, and so what we were talking about, about how, you know, your kind of religious deconstruction and, and finding a church community and spiritual community that's supportive of you and learning to have, um, learning to respect Jesus and helping you be more human. How does that tie in with the work you're doing now with like women's empowerment? Do you see those as related? What did one come before the other? Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you say that because, um, very technically I don't do religious work and, or, or I guess I don't go under the guise of spiritual work even necessarily, but I feel like everything I do is about the spirit. Everything I do is about connecting people to whatever source they think is up there. And so for me, like the entire, like my work is, I want women to be massively empowered so that they can find out what their true values are so they can live in alignment with that, right? Like that's the obsession. And most of the time, what's interesting is when you look at what our values truly are, when we get really honest with ourselves, it's love, it's forgiveness, it's grace, it's all these beautiful things that Jesus taught us. And so for me, I'm obsessed with going how do you get aligned with those values that you care about that are real, honest to God, good values for you, for your community and for our culture? And then how do you go about living those out? What are the actions that that's going to take? I always secretly say to my husband, that's my plan for world domination. I just want to empower enough women that women go, we're not putting up with all this crap anymore. And we're going to live by the values we know. Because And and I, I'm raising two sons. I have a husband. Even my dog is a freaking boy. So I mean, I love masculinity. <laughs> I love men. But women need to step up, right? Like women need to step up and go, no more of the patriarchy, no more of this meritocracy, hierarchy, bottom line bullshit that we seem to glorify so much. And I feel like women are the channel to do that. Women are the ones who are going to make that change because women intuitively know that when the community is strong, we're all, when we're all strong, the community is strong. Women intuitively know if you give me resources, I will make those resources last for more people, right? Like I always say, A man will bring, and this is a little bit like, this isn't the best example, but I I kind of use this where like, if a man brings home ingredients, it's a woman who makes the meal, right? And so if a man buys a house, it's a woman who makes it a home. That's just how women are. You give us certain supplies and then we all of a sudden create this incredible thing with it. And I think women need to be empowered to say like, let's look at the way that we have our different types of industries. Let's look at the way that we're living and let's make something beautiful out of it. And I think that innately comes to women. And I think men can be a real benefit in their going, let's tune into that. What is the vision here? What is the greater good? How can we, like, how can we stop creating mental illnesses and then profiting off of those mental illnesses? Yes, I'm talking to you, beauty industry, right? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, how can we stop doing that? Because women wouldn't do that to each other, right? Mm -hmm. And I I say that, again, as a massive generalization. So I I know that there are women who buy into the patriarchy. But if when you are intuitively 
connected to your feminine, that is not the behavior that you engage in. So I create circles where women can come together and deconstruct, not necessarily their religion, but all the belief systems, right? Like, why do we have a beauty industry? Why is that important? That's just another cage for women to live in, right? So come deconstruct the beauty myth. Come deconstruct all the different myths and stories that the culture has told us that we need to live by. And then once we've deconstructed it, let's look at what do you really want? And what are the values behind that? And what's the impact that you're going to make? And then as a community, because we stay in community, right? We, it's, it, you can do a drop-in group, but you can come and actually be part of a community. Then we can hold each other accountable for the impact that we're making. So you, you deconstruct, you go, this is how I want to live. You go out there and you try it and you come back to a safe circle and go, this is what happened. How do I, how do I pivot if it didn't work out well? What am I, where, where are my motives maybe um, not quite being appropriately shown so that people understand where I'm coming from? So you have that feedback loop and then you go out there and you try again and you go out there and you try again. So one, you're making change for yourself. You're making change for your family, but we need to make global change. There are people who are suffering. That's not okay. And we need to go, look, I will heal myself. I will remove the shit that's been thrown at me and whatever. Great. I'll do it. And then I'm going to go help my brothers and sisters, right? It's not just about me. That's beautiful. That's like the Jesus, that's kind of the Jesus thing to do, right? Like one of the things that inspires me the most from the, actually from the New Testament is when um, Jesus' mother and brothers come and they're trying to put him away because he's acting so kind of full crazy to them. And he says, (laughs) you know, you're not my mother. You're not my brother. You're not my, you're not my mother. You're not my brothers. All of these people are my family. So like one of the things early Christianity did was make family people who weren't biologically related, which wasn't unheard of, but was, um, it, it, it does stand out. It stands out that early Christians did that. So I love what Mm -hmm. you're saying, Meg, because it's saying that we actually are, uh, we are interdependent. We are interrelated. Um, and that's, yeah, like that's the divinity of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, what's also really beautiful and fascinating Meg is that, you know, your found, your spiritual foundation uh, was a family uh, kind of a model, right? Where we're, we're mm-hmm. all born into this thing and it was this strong community, but the emphasis of it was fear and mm-hmm. the emphasis of it was uh, the fear and the shame and the guilt and all that and the sin. And what I think is so beautiful is that not only have you escaped that and left that, you have now built a new community and a new family that's built on things like love and empowerment and service and things like this, which is way more Christ-like. I think it's a beautiful healing journey just to see how you left one thing that was probably in the beginning intended to be a good thing <laughs> by, the, by the people that started it, but slowly became something really negative. And, and, and you having the opportunity to, to notice that, to see the things that were toxic and damaging, to leave it and to create something way more beautiful that's actually serving other people and helping other people embracing other people not saying, well, first, first, you got to believe what I believe. First, you got to do this. You know, no, you are, as you are right now, a beautiful, powerful, amazing person, a human being worthy of love. And I want to help you become more of that person. I think all that's just, it's just a beautiful thing just to kind of see this amazing journey that you've been on and where you are now. And I, I hope you keep going. Oh yeah. Well, thank you. But people are so good, you know, like you get yeah. people into a room and you put in an intention into that room. Like, how do we, do, how do we make change? Like people are good. They want to do positive things in the world. Like it's, I mean, it's not that it isn't work, but it's, it's amazing how many people are like, yeah, I want to do this. I want to be part of this. I want to make this positive change. Like, I just think human beings are so good. And I'm so like, 
I'm so lucky to be able mm-hmm. to to do this work. You know, like just it, it's such a gift. It's I'm very very lucky, very lucky human being. That's awesome. One thing you said a little bit ago that I just wanted to comment on was you have this community that you're building of women, empowering women, and they're beginning to deconstruct in so many other areas, right? Because we have so much going on. Or if we just look at all, look at the women in, I, I believe it's in, in Iran, they're in the streets protesting now about the young woman who was uh, taken yeah. by the morality police and died in their custody. There's so much going on all around the world in this in this realm of things. And one thing I I can say, at least that I believe is true, is that once you begin to deconstruct in the area of faith and whatever it is your chosen deity is or higher power is, that aids and abets deconstruction everywhere else. So then you start to deconstruct, you know, what is my role in the house? What is my role as a mother? What is my role in the workplace? You know, and I think that deconstructing in the area of your faith empowers you to deconstruct everywhere else. And it doesn't have to be negative. It doesn't have to be negative. It could be something. It could be something trivial, petty, positive. <laughs> it could be whatever. It could be you know. I don't, I'm not gonna wash the dishes every time. If I cook, you gotta wash dishes. And if you cook, I'll wash the dishes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It could be anything. It could be you know what? Today I'm waking up and I'm going out the door as just myself. I don't owe it to the world to put on no foundation, no lipstick, no eyeliner, no eyeshadow, no nothing. You know what I'm saying? They could take it, leave it, love it, hate it. They could kick rocks. I'm coming out here with my face as it is today. And it can, it's just that we decide to deconstruct on such a high level. Faith is such a high concept. God is such a high concept. So when deconstruction to me happens way up here in the God place, then it trickles down. That's really the trickle down economic or whatever you want to call it. Trickle down deconstruction, right? Because it happens Redefining Reaganomics. I love it. December. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So when you deconstruct on such a high, how how much higher can you get than God, right? So if you deconstruct Mm. on the God level, it has to trickle down into every other area of your life. And I love that. And thank you for being an ambassador for that for others. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That was beautiful. I love that. And it's so true. So true. Well, Meg, this has been so wonderful. I hate to uh, to to cut us short here, but uh, we're kind of reaching the end of our time together. Uh, I want to. I know that people are listening are like, "This is so good." They want to know more about you, Meg. They want to know how they can follow you and, and get more information about the work that you're doing. So, can you please let us know uh, how can people find you online? Um, anything coming up that need to know about, or anything you know you want to talk about, uh, so people can learn more about you. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm super easy to find. You can just Google my name, meghepner.com. You'll get in my you'll get to my website. It's super simple. Everything is on there. If you want to listen to my podcast, The Art of Being Human, you'll find it on my website. If you want to join an event, you'll find it on my website. Um, you can all my events right now are held virtually. Um, so wherever you are in the world, come join a woman's circle. Um, it's uh, the circle are for women or anyone who identifies as a woman. So if you identify as a woman or you are a woman, you are so welcome. Um, to come sit in circle, see what it's like, deconstruct some things maybe that you hadn't thought about before. And then if you find, wow, God, I really love this and I'd like to go deeper, you can join um, a private group, which then you, you travel with the same group of women through deconstructing all kinds of different things. Um, and then you can kind of take a longer journey as well. Um, but 100%, I'm easy to find. The only thing I'm not is really on social media. Um, I 
I deconstructed my need to be on social media. So, so like you'll wow. see, you, yeah, I'm, I'm not doing it. Damn it. <laughs> you know, Mark, Mark Zuckerberg is not going to control me. Uh, it's my yes. little boycott. Um, but I, I, you'll find old accounts from way back on, on like Instagram and stuff, but I'm not active there. So I would say email me or look at my website. I occasionally will do a little something on, on Facebook. So you can get me there too. That's apparently my kids say that's the mom social media. So I'm on yeah, the mom yeah. social social media, um, but yeah. none of the cool ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, we think you're cool anyway. So thank you for being on our thank social you media. For thank you for being on our here. podcast. <laughs> oh, this awesome. has been amazing. I could talk about this forever. So thank you for giving me the opportunity. Amazing, Meg. Thank you, thank you Meg. So much. Yeah. I think she's got a book in her. I think I want, I, I think we should talk to her about writing a book because that was, that was pretty awesome. Is is she the first Mennonite? No, second, because Daryl Epps. That's right. Yes, Darryl that's Epps right. Was. Yeah. And I think we recorded them almost back to back. In we the, did. Just right the under process. the wire. Meg, our second Mennonite. That's right. She could have, she could have been the first. Yes. But the first female <laughs> Mennonite. Let's put it that yes. way. Yes. Right. The first male was Daryl and then the first female was Meg. Yeah. Um, and hey, by the way, everybody, before we jump into this excellent topic in our What If series, uh, I just wanted to take a real quick second here and say... Thank you to everybody who supports us on Patreon. It really means so much. Oh, you guys are the best. And um, and we love being able to, to like record extra bonus stuff uh, just for you, exclusively for you and uh, for all of our supporters. If you don't support the podcast yet on Patreon, would you please consider going to patreon.com slash heretic happy hour? Um, there are different levels there uh, you can sign up for. Find one that works for you. And just prepare yourself to unleash and unlock so much amazing extra bonus content that's waiting for you right there. Uh, and we're going to continue to upload more every month. And you'll also get access to our exclusive private Facebook group for Heritage Happy Hour. Please go and support us. And thank you so much if you already do. All right. So just in case you have not been thrown off too much by last week's topic, which was if aliens are real, what if aliens are real, uh, then we're going to do some real cage rattling today with what if Jesus had been a woman? What does that even mean? But very appropriate for this topic, isn't it? I, this question just fascinates me. I really, I can't wait to hear what everyone thinks about this, this what if example. Um, I, I think it would have changed so much, but I'm just curious what everyone else thinks about this question of just try to imagine what if Jesus, of course it wouldn't have been Jesus. I don't know. I don't know what the equivalent female version of Yeshua might've been. Yosefina. I don't know. Yeshika. I think it's just Definitely really, Yashika. really <laughs> Yeshika. There you go. <laughs> uh, Krista. If Krista, yes. If, if Yoshia, Yashika was the Krista. What do you guys think? Look, don't everybody speak one. Yeah, I know. Everybody's still, <laughs> they're stunned. We're stunned. Um, I think the entire construct of the world in general, at least as it relates to Christianity and the foundations that Christianity has built, would be drastically different. Because if you think about it, um, our religions um, have informed the way that we do life in general for thousands of years. So that mm -hmm. is from parenting to politics, from the way we raise our children to how we function in the marketplace, 
um, from commerce to the church house, um, everywhere that you can think about from the bedroom to the ballot box, our religion and our faith has informed our decisions, what we live, how we do, how we perceive the world, how we interact with others, um, everything, everything. So what would that be if Jesus had been a woman? How different would it be? What would the scriptures look like? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, all the scriptures, um, are written from a male perspective or from a male point of view. Um, the culture at the time, acknowledging that there was the overarching thing that the male is the head and the lead and all that other good stuff. So what would it have been? What would it have been? What would the laws look like? Because think about it. A lot of our laws are just basic morality laws that you find in the scripture. But then there's all the other laws. Like if someone raped somebody, would they be able to get off with probation? What if it's said in the Bible that they had to be castrated? You know, what would that, what would that look like? What every, everything would be different. What would it look like if men couldn't get a woman pregnant and leave her with the baby? Because the scripture was like, no, that hell no, that ain't how it's working out. If you make the baby, you got to keep it. And the woman gets to go off and leave you with the kids. You know what I'm saying? And so I think it would change the entire social construct of the earth in my mind, if Jesus had been a woman. Yeah, absolutely. So this is this is why I think this is so fascinating because I know we've talked about this before about how uh, at least the, the, what I see is I see that Jesus championed women in radical ways. I think that in Paul, at least not pseudo Paul, but real Paul, um, also you know he meant that's how we actually know the names of most of the women in the early church because Paul names them and, and honors them. Right? We talked about Junia and, and Phoebe and Dorcas and all these others. So um, so. And of course, so I think the in, the intention was originally that women would be a huge part of this movement early on, and but then unfortunately men jumped in and said, "Oh no, no, we got it." So it, I think that right there would have changed. I think there wouldn't have been. I, I don't think we'd have been talking about church fathers. Um, we'd be talking about maybe church mothers, um, early church mothers who were the ones writing and thinking and speaking, and um, right there in the middle of the leadership of of this movement. Um, and I, so I think that an original intent to empower women, <clears throat> if, if the Messiah had been a woman, um, would have had a major impact on the development of Christianity and the way women, the, the role that women played in that development. Um, it makes me though wonder too, though, would it, if Jesus, I keep saying Jesus, it wouldn't have been Jesus, but if the Messiah, whatever had been a woman, um, and it had continued as a movement, it, it makes me wonder though, would it have been exclusively a female movement? In other words, like would have men have been like, oh, that's a female cult. Um, we're not going to like, would men just opt out if they weren't going to be in charge of it? Right. So that's another, maybe another tangent. What if, but, uh, but I, I think it would have been certainly if nothing else, much better for women. And I personally think much better for the movement um, that women would have had more prominence. Maybe we would have had, Maybe the New Testament would have been like an epistle of Priscilla or an epistle of Phoebe or, you know what I mean, an epistle of Junia. Uh, That would have been really fascinating. Or, you know, maybe the Mary Magdalene thing would have stuck and it wouldn't have gotten buried. And, you know, she would have continued to be prominent um, in the movement. So all that stuff is just fascinating to me. And I... I, I want to live almost in the alternate reality. If I can find a, a time machine or, or some way to go interdimensional, I would love, I'd be so fascinated to see what would have happened if, if that had been the case. So I love that you said that, Keith, because the thing that I keep thinking is that the Jesus movement might have ended up being even more radical 
and I mean, I think it was a pretty radical movement, right? But like, y'all know that song uh, Janis Joplin sings uh, that has the line, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. So if the people who are the most marginalized are the ones shaping a movement, it's going to look a whole bunch different than the folks who are definitely oppressed but have a little bit of privilege, right? And so I found myself thinking, how much further might Jesus have pushed things if Jesus had been a woman and therefore already knew people weren't going to take her as seriously in the temple, that they weren't going to invite her to the same meals that Jesus got invited to, or at least not to sit at the table. Um, and so what does it look like to have a movement led by people who have nothing left to lose and therefore might as well dream as big as humanly possible? So, I like that. Yeah, I do too. Um, so I've got kind of two questions and meditations on these questions. One, how do we know Jesus wasn't a woman? <laughs> Whoa! How do we know? Well, and, that's a good yeah. stone thought. <laughs> right? So, had, if Jesus was, had Jesus been Greek or Roman, I would say absolutely we would know that Jesus was born a biological male because there were a lot of opportunities for them to be very naked uh, in bathhouses, in gymnasium, in, in lots of public forums. Uh, biological males would be without clothing together. Jewish males, a little less so. Unless they're thoroughly Hellenized and going to those places, which our presumption is that Jesus was not. So how do we know? How do we know? What pants checks were there? Yeah. Or, or like if Indeed. Jesus were intersex, right? Yes. If Jesus, Jesus were intersex, was intersex yeah. or a trans woman. Yeah. Or trans exactly. man. Excuse me. Trans man. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Born no, woman. I mean, so. I think that's very valid. Yeah. Right. So how do we know? So my, in, in really early work, uh, 25 years ago or so within biblical studies, when gender identity was just, I mean, really in baby steps coming forward and in religious studies writing and it's really only now starting to be done in biblical studies but some people put forward what i thought was a really interesting hypothesis which is if jesus is born of a virgin then jesus is a clone of that virgin unless oh, we wow. believe that god has sperm wow. no <laughs> boy you are really going deep so, on this one now, I do not believe in a literal virgin birth, so I think this doesn't hold water, right. but I think the right. idea is super interesting. This would make Jesus biologically a woman performing as a man in the ancient world. Yeah. Why not? I mean, I think it's really fun to think about. It's all what if anyway. It's yeah. all what if. Um, and so what if, it, what if that is true? Cool. We can finally break down all these stupid barriers about gender identity that we have up and let people live fully into the into the best expression of themselves at that moment in time. Then my second question yeah. is, why is this such a heretical question? I know in my Facebook group, sometimes I'll put a, hey, if you've never tried calling God a she, this may be a fun time just to try it out. And most people are really open to that. Or they'll say something like, I know I want to, but I just can't. It's really hard to conceive of the divine as, as feminine for many people. But then when we go there with Jesus, oh my gosh, the, the shouts of blasphemy and hellfire and everything are, you know, come raining down. And this is in the metaphysical Christian, yeah. right? Where, where we talk <laughs> about woo-woo things a lot. And so I yeah. know the barriers are so high. Like why, what, what about this gender question sets people off so much? I, I honestly don't know, but you are totally right. Like anytime 
you see a meme or you post anything suggesting, or even just like, you know, like I posted something a couple of years ago, God doesn't have a penis, which is not controversial. It's the most factual <laughs> thing possible. Yes, of course, God doesn't have a penis. But oh my gosh, do people freak out? And this whole question of God being gendered as a male, it just, it is so embedded in our Christianity, like you said, even not even we're not talking just gospel coalition people or, you know, like super evangelical, like, you know, even maybe a little more progressive have have trouble with it. I saw another meme along those lines, too, that said something like, if you have trouble, you know, addressing God or praying to God as a female, then you then you have trouble seeing the divine in in women. Right. To, to accepting that the divine image is in, in both men and women. And it's true. I think it's, I mean, why you ask the question, why is this such a problem? I mean, maybe because the patriarchy runs that deep and it's so embedded, it's so hard. Even when we tell ourselves we are moving away from it and we don't want to support it, there are just still embedded things. And this is one of them that I think it just, it flares up and people freak out about it. And to piggyback on what Katie said, um, I'm, I'm now I'm over here. Like I'm in my feelings. I'm in my thoughts. I'm everywhere on this topic, but <laughs> to pick back on what Katie said about assuming we do assume, uh, that he, that God is a, he, and that he is male or whatever the case. But I'm thinking back to the scripture in Genesis where it said, um, that God created men. Let he said, let us make men in our image. Mm-hmm. Why can't we consider that God might be intersex? He right. created he if he created mankind in his image and out of his image he created male and female, then you could logically come to a conclusion that God is intersex. If I say, I'm gonna make something in my image, and then I pop out a man and a woman, well, both of those are me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. if I'm just one being, then that means I'm both of those too. I, I think um and then something you said early on, um, Keith, that that I thought about. You said, Well, his name wouldn't be Jesus or the name wouldn't be Jesus. Why wouldn't it? Why wouldn't it? Maybe if uh Jesus had been a woman, that name would be attributed to females instead of males. And there wouldn't be a bunch of Jesus Jesus's run around that were men. There would be a bunch of Jesus's run around that were that were women. And all these, you know, in the Spanish culture, they named them after Jesus and Mary. And all the young ladies that are named Mary would be named Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because even the name is associated with the with the you know the patriarchy or whatever the case. So what if it wasn't? And so there's so there's so many different uh, things that you could think about. Um, and and also in the scripture throughout the scriptures, I think in Joel and Acts and in Corinthians and other places where it says, I, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and male and female. And then there's, I think, one in Galatians or Ephesians that says there is neither male nor female. Right. And so you could if you take that literally, it, it could it could shake up some stuff that you've been taught. You think you believe or whatever the case. But if you just take that, if you don't if you don't dissect that any further than what's on the paper. And literally say, oh, there is no male or female? Okay, what's that mean? There's just people who love God and, and a God who loves people? You know what I'm saying? There's a lot that, there's a lot in there that could be, that you could you could take out of there and run in a, a thousand different directions with it, if you allow yourself to. There's also a really fascinating kind of a reversal that happens um, with uh, some of the, I guess, Christology and some of the theology that comes out, you know, after the Gospels and stuff. 
I mean, that I notice anyway, that it's like, um, because you have in the beginning, you have, um, like you said, you know, God creates man, both male and female in his image, but then there's this separation where, you know, Eve comes out of Adam. Again, this is all symbolic. Um, and then, but then there's the, it, it's this continuing separation, right? So then, there, then there's the Jews and then they're separated from the Gentiles. And then there's all these layers of separation, but in Christ, it seems like all of that comes back together, right? Then you get those statements like, well, now in Christ, there's no Jew or Gentile. There's no male or female. Like all of those things that once were in the beginning started off together and then slowly drifted apart and came apart. Um, and also the separation between God and man. That in Christ, it's like, no, all this comes together. We have an incarnation where, where the spirit and flesh, God and man are, are dwelling in unity, where male and female, th those things now don't don't matter anymore. They're, they've come back together. That the Jew and the Gentile separation, that that doesn't matter anymore, that now that all of that comes back together. And it's almost like this thing that it started off together, it unzipped, and now it's being zipped back together again, which I think really is fascinating. It has really nothing to do with this question about, I guess, necessarily about Jesus being a woman, but, but maybe, I mean, maybe it's another, it's just another way to emphasize the image of God in the female. Um, and, and if that had been the case, I can't help but think that it would have shifted this whole way of thinking about God as only male or primarily male, where it's like secondarily, maybe we could, we could affirm, well, yeah, yeah, women too, but like, that's the best you're going to get. So there's something that I have noticed that I think is a really sweet imagining that we're doing in this conversation, which is the imagining that this movement would have had staying power if it had been led by a Jesus who's a woman, right? Um, and and I think that that's beautiful, and I think it's really aspirational, and it's helped me realize what a cynic I am because my first thought about this question was um, – if Jesus had been a woman, we probably wouldn't be Christians because patriarchy is actually that strong. Um, and that kind of breaks my heart, right? Um, just to, just to be a little bit vulnerable. Um, I have been using they, them pronouns for a while now. I'm still early enough in my journey that I'm a little ambivalent about being described as gender non-binary, but I realize part of the reason it has taken me this long to, identify that way is I spent most of my life with people punishing or judging me for not being feminine enough, for being too masculine, for not functioning in the rules of the gender binary adequately. And we're talking 2000 years after the life of Jesus. There's still that much pressure. There's still that much. People didn't even have to say anything. I just knew that I wasn't doing it right. Um, so, so I find myself thinking, I love, I love this group because y'all were like, what would it look like if Christianity had been created by a woman or a trans man or, and that we were practicing it today in the same numbers? I love that vision because to me, that's a little bit of a heaven oriented vision. Uh, it's a little bit of an aspirational vision and I love it. So. I'm curious if what if Jesus was a woman um, could lead us to different expressions of God. So an obvious one would be God as mother rather than father. I know that's something we we perhaps talked about, but longtime listeners, you're going to know I balk at all parental descriptions of God. 
Uh, they do not resonate with me. I don't like them. I don't need another parent. Thank you. I'm good. Because it always implies a hierarchy. It always implies that I am needing, like, I don't know, kind of needing some sort of direction um, and, and never, not ever in partnership with God in this, um, with this setup. So I'm curious if, if Jesus had been a woman, if we might enter into other images that do, that don't rely on that hierarchy. Um, would that, would that be a possibility? So we're not, instead of talking about the prodigal son, ah, uh, eh, who cares? Maybe we can talk right. about the prodigal friend. Right. And coming right. into co-equal yeah. relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the prodigal person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to be a father. And yeah, it could just be a family. Um, yes, the person left the family and then came back and was welcomed by the family. Uh, yeah, that that would be interesting. Or the, the family by choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't have to be biological. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm curious if Jesus being a woman would have maybe led us away from some of these root metaphors uh, that rely so much on biological kinship. Mm-hmm. And into other and into other kinds of metaphors, we have no indication that Jesus in scriptures was married, right? None. Well, Dan Brown would say something about that, though. Well, Dan, yes, right, but married in the, in the sort of traditional sense. Um, the only the only indication I think that we get of that is in the Gospel of Mark. It talks about Jesus returning home to Capernaum. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there's like kind of an indication that maybe Jesus lived there and had a traditional family set up, but it's not that it's not super clear to me. Uh, of course, Mormons believe that Jesus had a family, a traditional wife and children. Sure. But um, if Jesus was a woman, would that have been possible? I don't. It it would have been very radical for a woman to be unmarried, although not yeah. unheard of. There were celibate aesthetic women um, in the in the ancient world. But traveling on her traveling on her own, doing her own thing, might necessitate a different kind of family setup. And so then, when we have different metaphors that we would be using, what say yeah. ye all? Yeah. Or am I asking the wrong question? No, I don't think so. Although I did see a really cool documentary with Tom Hanks about uh, Jesus being married. It was, you should check it out. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm joking. <laughs> Wait, Tom um, Hanks is the narrator or Jesus? No, he's, he's he the walking Phoenix. No, he's the- playing this character who's looking for clues and he discovers that Jesus really was married. And I'm joking. It's a, it's a stupid movie. Um, <laughs> uh, it's the Dan Brown one, right? Uh, the Da Vinci Code. It's the yes. Da Vinci Code. Oh, that took uh, me a long way to get there because I've never actually watched it. Good for you. I haven't either, by the way. I've never yeah. watched it either, and I have no plans to. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to derail your No, your no, listeners, here. you all got to that much faster than I did, so I compliment <laughs> you on it. Well, yeah. to piggyback a little bit on what Shonda was saying and tie that into what you just said, um, I, we are assuming that Christianity would exist today. I, I like that. We I didn't even realize this was a this was a default reflex for us to assume that Christianity assume that it would exist today as it is, but under the the premise that Christ was female. Um, but given that the those who wrote the scriptures wrote them according to the culture at the time, not because Jesus was male and established the hierarchy, but because it already existed. That's how they wrote at the time, and that's from the premise they wrote Christ as a female might have been burned at the stake. It might have been considered, um, or stoned to death. Yeah. yeah she might've been stoned to death. She might have been considered, would there even be, would the Bible be considered even any kind of gospel or some kind of pagan book? You know what I'm saying? Or, or, um, would she have been cast out 
and exiled as some kind of, you know what I'm saying? Some kind of witch. Because yeah. you think about Jesus healing people and, and talking to demons and all this kind of stuff. And when you put that in the context of a woman and all that has happened to women who were, mm, I don't know what the word is, who were uh, a little, acted a little bit more than human. <laughs> that had any kind of spiritual gifts or talents or you know what I'm saying when you think about what happened to women over time and then women who didn't have any kind of extra gifts or talents that, because somebody assumed they did and you know you think about the witch trials and all that kind of stuff and if you put that in the context of Christ being a woman I'm not sure that she would have survived very long for us to be this far down the road yeah. with Christianity well, Jesus didn't survive a whole long time Yes, right. it is. Like, I mean, one year. Yeah. Wasn't it three years? I thought it was like a. Well, I guess it three years in the Gospel of John. Years. One year in the Synoptics. That's yeah. I'm like as soon as as soon as she changed water to wine, bam, she's stoned to death. She's a witch. You know, what I'm I don't know. It, it, perhaps she would have not even got. She would have never entered into the wilderness. Came out on the side, got baptized, had a, had God proclaimed that this is my daughter in whom I am well pleased, and then ministry never would have got started. We don't know. Because yeah. the way the world have treated women before the Bible was ever written, you know, p- toxic patriarchy is not new, and it didn't start with the Bible or Christ. So when we think about, I I didn't even realize that we assumed that Christianity or Christ herself would have survived for us to even believe in her today. Christ herself, I love that phrase. Yeah. I also want to make a quick acknowledgement since we've brought up Dan Brown and we probably shouldn't have. Uh, one of my favorite things that I have heard, uh, my favorite analysis of that book, I was talking to a friend of mine who was a theologian and I was like, what did you think about it when it had just come out? And he was like, I'm sorry. The fact that the woman who was the first evangelist, the first person to spread the gospel is turned into somebody whose only value is, by giving birth to somebody. Yep. He's like, that feels like it's taking away her power rather than empowering her, which is not to say motherhood isn't a truly inspiring and amazing thing. It's just, there was something radical about who Mary Magdalene was in the gospels and something much less radical about she gave birth to a kid and that's what makes her important. Yeah. Was she just, yeah, almost like the side chick or the yeah the girlfriend or something. Instead of like, no, she was like the this apostle to the apostles. Yeah, exactly. I, I agree with you. And so women are in the gospels are being disempowered even today. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Well, yeah. so maybe if Jesus was a woman, and I'm so happy to be able to bring this in because I know Matt's waiting. We would not have the cult of the magical hoo ha. <laughs> that we currently have with the magical vagina that solves all of life's problems but that's but the that a, woman but is, is that a good is that a good thing though I mean don't we like the magical hoo-ha or we just like <laughs> well, saying it gives, it it gives me a lot of air time I think we just so like saying it I don't know that I want to get rid of it quite yet but <laughs> is, is, I, I didn't know who's in the cult of the magical are you just born into it like the like the, the world is in the cult of the magical hoo-ha that it's the magical oh, okay. vagina we'll have the magical baby and that will solve all of life's problems but so far i've not seen the world actually be solved through a magical baby okay i was just or checking it sounded hoo-ha. pretty cool i didn't know if i had to pay some membership dues or go online and sign up or what <laughs> you, what i needed to do you, you have to pay membership to get out of the 
out of the club. Oh, okay. <laughs> Wait, so Katie, are you saying that we wouldn't have had the magical hoo-ha? Because I think it would have emphasized, it would have elevated the magical hoo-ha even more. Because so, then the, the Messiah came from a magical hoo-ha. We already have that. But then, the, the, but then the Messiah has a magical hoo-ha. So now it's like double. It's like double hoo-ha. Maybe, <laughs> but maybe without all of the like children <laughs> emphasis, like Shonda oh. was saying with Mary Magdalene. Yeah. Um, if we don't, if we, if we, if we sort of start valorizing motherhood as the end all be all of every woman, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that she is reduced to her, um, well, I'll just say vagina in this case. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's not so magical. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't know though. It could go either way. This is this is dicey territory. Right. Right. <laughs> well, um, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> wait for the book. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. I'm waiting I, on I, I'm it. so fascinated by this. I think there's so many different implications of this question, you know, and we, we're almost near the end here. So I know we've not been able to explore all of them, but um, there's just, a, I think there's just a lot to consider here. And I, th- I think, I guess what I like about it too, about this question is that it, it forces us then to examine the Christianity that we do have, right? And the ways in which a, a female Christ could have improved on what we currently have inherited. Right. Um, so that, that, I guess that's one of the things I like about it. It's like saying, well, because I think in many ways, I think when I first thought about this question, one of the first things I thought about it was like, man, for Jesus to have, if Christ had come as a woman, if Jesus had been, been female, um, it, because, you know, we make a big deal sometimes in a lot of Christian circles about like how, like Philippians 2, Jesus was, you know, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself and took on flesh and became this servant. And I think, yeah, there's something there in that image of the incarnation. But man, that wasn't, we act like that was as low as he could have gone. And it wasn't. Like, no, if you really, really want to push that idea, then I think it would have made even more sense if you really wanted to talk about this idea of you know, humbling himself and becoming this servant of all and, and letting go of this and, you know, coming into humanity as this, in this low position, coming as a woman would have been even more, you know what I mean? It would have been even lower to that point. But then at the same time, would it have been so low in a position that it would have been, that, that Christ would have been dismissed as a woman and not taken seriously, would have probably, like we said, been crucified or stoned to death or or just you know, killed in some way, scapegoated in some way so quickly that it would have been like a six month ministry and it would have been a blip and then maybe nothing would have happened. So I don't know. Hey, in that case, maybe that is what happened. Maybe, maybe the first time that Christ was a woman and it was like, uh, shit, that didn't work. I guess I have to be a man next time. So who knows? <laughs> maybe Jesus as a woman could have lasted longer than a year or three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe a little right. more sad, right? Because women are uh, women have to be uh, intersectional and have to know how to respond to multiple layers of power. Oh, there you go. And and ancient women for sure, like uh, ancient Galilean women for sure. So maybe Jesus would have navigated that political system as a yeah, woman maybe. with. I don't yeah. want to say more finesse, but maybe we'd have a different kind of understanding of atonement in the cross and what that could mean. I love that. Uh-huh. Oh, that it's, it's such a fascinating so question. So I have two final thoughts, one of which is uh, I think we would have ended up with far fewer parables because every time Jesus tried to start a story, some dude would have interrupted her and been like, so I think what you're trying to say is. 
Uh, <laughs> yes. and Christ explaining. Yeah, Christ explaining. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so good. Christ explaining. And, and my and my other final thought is I really I miss getting to drop the f bomb like I did during the uh, the church scandal series. So I thought I would just throw in a fuck patriarchy. Thank you. Okay, so listen, I just I just have one final thought too, um, and then you know I know we got to get out of here. I wonder what what the honor system would be for women and their bodies and the ability to bring life into the earth. And, you know, we're coming on the heels of um, the reversal of Roe v. Wade. And I'm wondering, what would that even look like? Would that even be a question? I don't think it would even be a question. I think it would be like um, God in the flesh. Of course, she has control over her own body. You know, it would not even be a question. It wouldn't be something to vote upon because it would be something that is so, everyone would be pro-life for real. Not what they think that means, yeah. but what it actually means, meaning every life is autonomous and have a right to make decisions about its own life. Yeah. Love you know it. what I mean? Anyways, that's probably a lot. We ain't even got time, but listen. Thank you for tuning in. If you got time and if you don't make time, go over to heretichappyhour.com and check out the website. Take a quiz and find out what kind of heretic are you anyway. You know what I'm saying? Because you're a heretic if you're listening to this show. you some kind of heretic. Go over there and see what kind you are. Also, there's a bookstore there where we got discounts on um, all the great books and on authors and guests that we've had on the show. There's t-shirts. I don't know what's all over there, but whatever's over there is something for you. So go over there to www.heretichappyhour.com. I totally feel like we should make our what-if questions into t-shirts or pillows. Oh, they yeah. would be conversation starters for everyone. What if Jesus was a woman? What if what aliens are real? Yeah, I like yeah, that. Yeah, totally. Awesome. And Good. there's there's Let's more to come. So what we would love for you to do is to come into our free Facebook group, Heresy After Hours. It's filled with people who are deconstructing on all different points of, parts of their journey. And at, let's ask the question, what if Jesus was a woman? We want to hear from you. So come and have that discussion with us in the free Facebook group, Heresy After Hours. That's right. And as I said earlier, we love our Patreon supporters. We thank you so much for all your amazing support. And if you don't support us yet, I'm getting choked up. Please consider going to patreon.com slash heretic happy hour and supporting your favorite podcast. Thank you so much. I am so excited at all of the recent ratings and reviews we've gotten. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to rate and review us yet, it makes a world of difference. It helps people like you find people like us. So please do take a moment to rate and review. Keith, were you choked up because it was like such an emotional show? Or did you just swallow wrong? I just swallowed wrong. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 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 just curious.